This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome into the Odds and Audibles podcast. Matt Prem, Eric Scopel, and Jared Mack on the show. Welcome to the latest edition where we are diving into position group previews ahead of Oregon opening up fall camp here in about a week or so. Um, Today we are looking at the wide receiver and the tight end room. Uh, Previously we've done quarterbacks, we've done running backs. Uh, So you can go back and listen to those shows if you would like. Um, We first want to acknowledge uh, this is one in which there's going to be some Heavy hearts here. Uh, it's with the whole program, too. But this is the preview where Spencer Webb is – we're going to be having to talk about his position group. Um, obviously, if his passing is still fresh in a lot of people's minds, and we're – you know, we feel for the team. We feel for the people that knew Spencer, um, that got to know him. Uh, I think all three of us had, you know, good relationships with him from a media's perspective. And it was very sad and just straight up awful to, to hear that news of his passing. And so um, this is one in which there's certainly a lot of questions on the football field, but off it, we definitely are, are feeling uh, their pain and understanding of the emotions that this group is going to be going through, through fall camp. Yeah. I think we, we obviously had to acknowledge it because we're, it would be cold not to. And the reality is he meant a lot to a lot of people um, in this program. Um, That was clear. That was evident. You know, I think it's going to be something where they will commemorate him in in multiple ways throughout the year. I know Bennett Williams already said he's wearing the number four, which was the number Spencer was set to wear this year um, on defense. By the way, the roster's updated. It's up. Spencer Webb is still on the roster. I think that's the right choice. You know, keep him on there for the whole year. He's a part of this team, even though he obviously won't be playing. Um, Just tragic, man. It's tough. This is the type of stuff that, you know, when you're in our positions, of course, we'd love to be – we'd prefer to be just talking about football. We just want to be talking, you know. But you can't ignore something like this, which is just devastating, and this is just the reality of what happens. So um, we're not – I mean, obviously, this is pretty infrequent. But when a player passes like this, it's going to be a storyline all season, and it should be. Um, and, you know, you, you you hope that there is enough time for grieving and there's enough, you know, the ability to maybe commemorate him throughout the season, not just with whatever they choose to do, but kind of with their play and, and with their hearts and, and with their minds as well. So I think we had to just at least start this podcast reaching that subject because we are going to talk about the tight end position and the reality is, is his, he was a really good football player and he has left a hole on this team and for off the field purposes, but also on the field. And so we're not going to, I don't want to be, it's not going to come across callous. I don't want to come across being, you know, talking about it like it's someone who transferred or somebody who, you know, graduated. It's a very different scenario, but Oregon will have to now figure out some alternatives in his passing, in his absence at the position group, but that's something we're going to talk about. So I think I thought we, I think we all agree it was important to at least acknowledge that going in before talking about this group. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's an absolute tragedy 
for, for Spencer Webb, like Eric mentioned. Um, it's gonna it's gonna take a while for I think for all of us to get over this. Um, you know, the news drop still doesn't really feel doesn't really feel real at this point. Um, you know, it was an absolute class act, a wonderful human. Um, always had a good rapport with him. Uh, for media wise, um, he was someone who uh, would occasionally pop into my apartment um, when I was an undergrad at Oregon. Um, just a really great person. Um, and it's going to take a lot to just for, just for, you know, everybody's hurting at this point for the team. Um, like Eric mentioned, it's starting new traditions like Bennett Williams wearing number four in his honor. Um, the, the team as their, their Spencer Butte, um, hike, uh, they're going to start an annual tradition now. Uh, like that was over Twitter that the team, um, released that, that information, um, I think it's the right, like Eric mentioned, the, the right decision that um, Spencer is still on the roster. Um, this will be something that's talked about all year. And, and like Eric mentioned, it should be talked about all year. Um, but it's uh, it's, a good, it's going to be a hard one to, to fill, um, like Eric mentioned, on and off the field. And um, it's, a, just a, it's a true shame that, it, that someone was taken this early. There's no easy transition, so we're just going to do it. Um, the receiver group and the tight end group have seen an overhaul in the last two years. Um, the tight end room, it was kind of first there last year with a bunch of new faces. Um, and then this season, it's now the receiver room. I think you look at the guys that started games at receiver last year, Devin Williams, he is off to the NFL, and you've got Johnny Johnson off to the NFL. Jalen Red has graduated. Micah Pittman has transferred. Uh, and so you're left with basically Chris Hudson um, with meaningful snaps. Um, Josh Delgado is probably second, but he didn't play a lot, if at all, really last season. And then you've got Troy Franklin, Dante Thornton, um, two guys who had – some moments here or there during the season. Um, I don't think any of us – I certainly was expecting a little bit more production, not to the fault of their of them, just the quarterback play, the lack of passing attempts factored into it there. Um, and then they both exploded in the Alamo Bowl against Oklahoma when um, depth was depleted and the – I don't know, the playing style changed a little bit with Anthony Brown. And they actually aired it out. Um, so we saw some of the potential that those guys have. But at receiver, it, it's an entirely different group. The spring game, it was exciting. Franklin, um, Seven, McGee, uh, Fortin, they, Hudson, I think, too, all had big plays. And Chase Coda. Yeah, Chase mm -hmm. Coda had a really good game. I mean, that was what uh, a lot of the receivers were talking about after the game was over in the spring game. And so – this is a position group where I think the floor is really low and I think the ceiling is really high. Um, it, it could be a wide range of when we close the book on 2022 of what this position group was able to do. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm really optimistic, frankly. Um, but Again, it, it, as we talked about with running back, there's actually probably a little bit more proven commodities at Oregon with this group than running back, but it's the same kind of situation where I think we all think there's a ton of talent and we think these guys are all very capable. 
but there isn't a ton of experience, or at least we haven't seen them prove it yet on the field at Oregon to the gr- degree you'd prefer going into a season. Like you'd, you'd like to have a guy who you could point to and say, okay, he started a bunch of games. Like there's no Johnny Johnson or Jalen Red who are regular starters for, gosh, half a decade basically at Oregon. And there's, not even a, there's not even a Devin Williams who would kind of emerged as a, as a real – and maybe Chris Hudson's this year is Devin Williams in terms of he was a guy who kind of emerged throughout the season. But um, it, I, don't know, I don't know how wide the range is because I do think there's a ton of talent. But I do, I can't, it's hard to argue that like there's, there's, these guys just haven't, haven't seen them play very much. Um, I'm really encouraged, again, talked about it at a running back on the previous show about the variety of kind of body types and skill sets. It feels like about as versatile a receiving room mm-hmm. as we've had. Um, when you just kind of look at the type of players you have, um, you've got a couple of big, really fast guys on the outside. And Dante Thornton, and Caleb Chapman, they're both like 6'4", six, 6'5". Six, Isaiah Bravard and um, even Tyler James, Casper. Tyler Casper was, thank you. I was. I know there's another one. Other guys who are big and really athletic who I think can go win one-on-one battles. Maybe don't have breakaway, breakaway speed like the other two I just mentioned but are very, very capable on winning on the outside. Um, I think, by the way, I just I, I haven't mentioned it too much. The the additions this offseason have been kind of maybe, I don't want to say under the radar, but I don't know if we give enough credit to, like, I think Caleb Chapman has a, is capable of contributing. I think Chase Cota certainly showed in the spring he's capable of contributing. I think Kyler Casper, yeah. probably I'm not quite as optimistic just because, or confident maybe is a better word, just because he's a true freshman. I think he is physically so athletic and so capable of at least doing the one thing, which is just going up and out jumping a guy and making a catch. Like, I think there could be a role for him in goal line situations. And I could see like, again, what I'm getting at is like, there's such a variety of players that there could be a, you know, who you use around the goal line in kind of red zone situations for just jump balls. I know Oregon's not going to be Stanford where they're going to put out like five tight ends that are all like six, six, 11 and just play Play and just kind of throw the ball up and have it go. Someone go grab it like it's a, a rebound. But like I do think you could put, a, a, and I know we'll get into other things throughout this podcast of kind of what's exciting. And maybe I'm, I'm I'm already kind of doing that, but it's kind of exciting to think about. Like you could put up like Thornton, Casper, and Chapman, or maybe Coda, and have just three guys go up and just out jump people in the red zone. And then you, and you know, and then different parts of the field you could have. A lot of speed and you know, kind of shiftiness and quickness with guys like Seven McGee, Chris Hudson, Troy Franklin, who could be ankle breakers, and you can utilize them in short and intermediate routes. And then even on you know deep situations, you could have different position groups. I just think there's a lot of different ways Oregon can beat you. And like how we talked about at running back, where we were like, they could use four, maybe all five scholarship running backs could play a decent role throughout the year. I don't think this is a thing where you're like. Oregon has three starting receivers. Those three guys are going to get 90% of the targets. No one else is really going to play very much. I, I think you could see six, seven, maybe eight guys play some sort of a role this fall at receiver. And it wouldn't be surprising to me that I do think somebody will eventually emerge as like a quote unquote go to. But I could also see that being a thing from week to week. There are different. Um, one-on-one matchups that they find advantageous that they choose to go after. And Oregon has enough talent at those positions where they can cater a, a game plan towards maybe this is a Troy Franklin week or this is a Dante Thornton week or whoever. I think the ceiling of this of this wide receiver room is extremely high. Um, I also think the floor of this wide receiver room is really high as well. Um, these are 
probably the most talented wide receivers that Oregon has assembled in the last couple of years. Um, I think Devin Williams is would like to say otherwise, but I, I think the, se- the second year of Dante Thornton and Troy Franklin and Seven McGee, followed by by Chris Hudson and Chase Coda as a possession receiver and Caleb Chapman as a guy who um, I think is a low risk, really high reward guy, uh, someone who's been really injured throughout his career at Texas A&M, but someone who, when healthy, put up pretty monstrous numbers. If you go back and look at his 2020 season um, before suffering a torn ACL, he was, I think he had seven catches for 150 yards, two touchdowns against a top six or top seven ranked Florida in the pandemic shortened season. Um, again, that's a good, it could be a, a tremendous pickup for the Ducks because that just provides another option. Um, uh, the, the talent in this room is going to, is going to be what makes them the difference maker. Yeah. There, there are a lot of inexperienced guys out here. Um, but I don't worry about inexperience at the wide receiver position as much as I do at other, other positions. Um, I don't, uh, you've seen freshman wide receivers or rookie wide receivers in the NFL, sure. um, make plenty of rosters, make plenty of spectacular plays, make plenty of number ones on the depth charts. Um, you know, you look at last year heading into the season, Troy Franklin was the number one on the depth chart before suffering an injury right before the first game of the season against Fresno state. Um, not saying there's a, there's a freshman that could do that this year. <coughs> Maybe it's Kyler Casper, but I, I, I'm not the most confident in that. Although I do think he could contribute. Um, but in, in this, in this system with Dante Thorne and Troy Franklin, I think they just need to get open. And if you're worried about covering those guys on the perimeter, as you should be, uh, you have Seven McGee on the inside. And if you're worried about him, which you should be, uh, if they run a four-wide system, you could have Chase Coda or Chris Hudson or Caleb Chapman or somebody else who could be on a one-on-one against a linebacker. And that's an advantage Oregon's going to take every day of the week. Um, So I think that the way Kenny Dillingham runs the system compared to how it has been in years past where maybe they haven't taken advantage of wide receivers that are talented. I think it's going to be a lot different. I think we all saw that in the spring game and that was with it without some of their reserves coming in. Yeah. I I do think this group, the big playability is maybe as good as it's been in the last couple of seasons, because we obviously saw what happened in the Alamo bowl against Oklahoma with Franklin Hudson and Thornton. And then that kind of carried over into the spring game when we saw Seven McGee get into that mix. We also saw Chase Coda make some big plays. And then, like, I think it was Eric that brought up Chapman. Like, yeah, he he's had some injuries in his time at Texas A&M, but he is a very tall receiver that is also very fast. And – um, I remember speaking with Brian Peroni of our Texas A&M site, and he said he basically won the Aggies a game against Florida during the COVID year because of just how Brainy Moss-ish he was against the Florida DBs, you know, going over the top and just catching ridiculous passes and then just running away from everybody. And so – well, I don't know if you're going to expect that from him every single week. I like the idea that Eric brought up where you may have through eight games, four or five different guys that lead the team in receiving yards 
up up to the you know the month of November, and then as the scheming gets really dialed in, you know maybe Oregon really zeroes in on on two or three guys to finish off you know the season as their big play, their go-to targets, and that's where the, maybe the, the separation from the group happens. I that I agree with. Like there's the big playability here is tremendous, and I go back to maybe that 2014 team where they had a wide range of guys, you know, Devin Allen was the the burner. Darren Carrington was kind of the, the go-to possession. You need a catch. You, you throw it to him. Keenan Lowe had his big moments. Um, Dwayne Stanford, he had his moments. Um, Byron Marshall was another guy on that team that had big play after big play during that season. So, this this is a group, it's unproven, but it, it feels very similar to that one where you've got a, a wide range of, of body types and skill sets and you're going to have out of nine or ten guys, three or four emerge as big play receivers. Do we want to do tight end now? Yeah. Just because we're at 17 minutes here and if we keep going receiver, we'll look up and it'll be 42. Yes. yes. Um, and I and I think we're all in agreement about just the different just to finish to kind of rapid receiver, not make it too abrupt there on my part because I was like, let's talk about something else. Well, we hadn't put a bow on it. I, I I think we all agree that there's a lot to be excited about at receiver. And frankly, just I'm a, I'm pretty enthused about getting out to practice and being like, all right, like what does this depth chart look like? Where are guys actually working? Because in in the spring it was certain guys at, 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 at you know the X or the Z, um, you know guys in the slot. I'd be curious to see how that much that changes. Um, kind of in the fall, people move around a little bit, kind of with the, re- the best position. Like h- how set in stone is it that Troy Franklin is playing one spot as opposed to the other outside receiving spot? Could he move in the slot? How how versatile can they get with that? Um, so those are some things I'm guess I'm curious on there. Tight end, um, you know, it's funny because I think you you look at this group and you probably say you you've got concerns about depth, and I think that's fair. Oregon has five scholarship tight ends. Two of them are sophomores who played a lot last year. Two of them are guys who've been hurt and banged up for several years and basically haven't played consistently. Patrick Herbert's case at all and Cam McCormick's case since like 2018. I mean, I mean, it's been a long ass time since we've seen him regularly a part of things. And then the fifth guy is Terrell Tillman, who was recently moved from outside linebacker to tight end. Good size, 6'5", 230, good movement skills from what we've seen. But this is a new position for him. I know Oregon's had some success, we have to say, at moving players from defense to offense, specifically to tight end. If you think about Hunter Campmore back in 19, 18 and 19, DJ Johnson in 2020. Like, those are all, I think, success stories. I think Oregon will need amongst those two, those well, those three players, the guys who've been injured and then Tillman, one or two of those guys will need to be ready to go. Um, I also think Tyler Nanny is a name to know. He was working kind of with the third team offense quite a bit. Not kind of, he was with the third team offense a decent amount in spring. Um, but as I mentioned earlier, and again, I, 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 we had to say it so it didn't seem cold because he's passed away and that's different than a transfer. But Spencer Webb not being on this team, it really does impact the, kind of the roster and, and kind of just the way you're going to be able to operate at tight end. Um, trying to be careful with just how we frame that, but yeah, 
it's a loss because you went into the season in the spring. We talked about how you felt really good about those three guys. You know, we saw what Terrence, we saw what Maliki, and we saw what Spencer had done last season. Tight end position wasn't utilized very well. Production there wasn't great, but you thought those are three guys who are very much capable, very much reliable. You go into the season knowing you've got three good players there, and three good to great players there. Now you know you've got two good to great players, and then you've got three kind of unknowns. And that's to me where I get a little bit nervous there. Um, I think ultimately they'll be okay. And I've, I've always liked the ceiling of Patrick Herbert. He just couldn't stay healthy. I've always really liked the ceiling of Cam McCormick, but he's had, I mean, honestly, one of the most devastating careers that I can think of for an Oregon athlete with injuries. Every time he gets healthy, he gets taken out right away. It's mm-hmm. absolutely brutal. Um, and then Tillman is a guy who I don't, I have no idea what to make of. I barely saw him play outside linebacker last year. He basically played special teams only a year ago. He was, where was he in the depth chart even at outside linebacker in the spring, Jared? Like 13? I don't even know if he was a guy who was regularly out there. I, I, I to, to be honest, I don't remember. And I think that's pretty telling. Yeah. So what can we expect to get from him? So, I mean, th- that's why I, I, I yeah. don't think it's super dire because I really like Ferguson and Madavau. I think those are really high-end players, and they'll be, they should be fine with those two. But they're like an injury away from it getting kind of scary. They, they, they can't have an injury. or they. And it's also what happens if one of those guys just is inconsistent this year? That puts it – I mean, that's re- probably more realistic than an injury. Right. These are, these are mm-hmm. true sophomores. They, we, we, we have, these aren't guys that have been here for five years. They've been here a year and a half. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not entirely worried about that situation happening just because of how just of how good they looked as in their freshman year. And like Eric mentioned, they were extremely underutilized, and that could be the fault of how the offense was um, because they were really, really good against Ohio State, and then all of a sudden they just never used a tight end again in a day in their lives. But um, the only having two reliable tight ends is the, the issue here. Um and like Eric mentioned, the, the passing of Spencer Webb way means significantly more off the field than it does on it. Um, but it, yes. it does mean something on the field at the end of the day. Um, and relying on Nanny or McCormick or Herbert is, uh, a, you know, a, a tough ask. Because if you had to make your pick on who to rely on, I think I might go with Tyler Nanny. Because... I at least know that he's during every fall or spring camp. I know that he's out there and he's playing tight end and isn't in the rehab group. Um, Clearly McCormick and Herbert have significantly more talent. It's just a matter of fact of being on the field. Um, I think we were robbed last year of of a Patrick Herbert sighting because he was injured during one of, one of the first, uh, one of the first scrimmages at Odson stadium in a non-contact issue. Yeah, um, which was extremely unfortunate. But if he's back and he's he's healthy, he could he could potentially be a guy that they need to rely mm-hmm. on and potentially can rely on. Um, you know, former four star recruit. Um, I think he's extremely athletic. He's a different type of mold. I think he's closer to Terrence Ferguson than he is Maliki Matavau. Um, But again, those two guys I just mentioned are are pretty darn good in their own right, and I'm extremely excited to see specifically how Ferguson does in this type of offense because of how much of a natural pass catcher he is. Um, Eric talked about earlier about what they could put at the goal line with Kyler Casper and Caleb Chapman. 
you throw Terrence Ferguson in there too. You got three guys over six foot five ready to go up and catch a ball. And then you could actually maybe go Stanford for a second and try to get as many jump balls as possible. But I doubt Oregon does that. But still, that's a, a, a legitimate yeah. threat. They might. And he's a legitimate threat over the middle. So is Malik Imanovao, who moves well for his gargantuan size. That, that kid is huge for like a 19-year-old in a good way. Um, they're both extremely talented tight ends, and I'm excited to see what they do if they get their opportunities this this year, which I think they should. I think if there is going to be someone that emerges from the McCormick-Herbert group, I, I'm going to pick Herbert. Um, and I think he's maybe the guy that's got the biggest ceiling for Oregon on this roster that's not one of the, the two sophomore tight ends that um, Maliki or Tiferd, because go back to the scouting report on Patrick when he was coming out of Sheldon High School going into that 2019 season. The Everything we heard was from internally at Oregon was and at Sheldon was that they felt like he was the best athlete of the three Herberts. Um, the oldest went and was a star receiver at the FCS level at Montana State. Obviously, we know what Justin Herbert did and is now doing in the NFL. And Patrick was viewed as like he's kind of got everything that the two you know older Herbert brothers had morphed into one and he's the one that comes to, to college with the high expectations and he's had two two straight years of injuries and if he can get himself back to being healthy he could be a guy that there was very little expectations for at the beginning of the year and he ends it with being one of the most you know relied upon players at this position group that that would be my pick for you know, maybe the wild card factor of, of this position group. I want to pick Cam, but like Eric said, like he's had the craziest injury plagued career I can I can think of at work and not just football, but just in general. Um but I think it's one where, you know, from my perspective to to wrap things up on my end, I, I think this is a position group where it 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 was way underutilized last season and that needs to change. It doesn't matter who the who the guy is uh, at, on this roster that has the receiving yards, that has the touchdowns, or if they or if they disperse it out evenly, but there needs to be more than I think it was forty catches and four hundred and fifty yards and five touchdowns. I think that's kind of around the numbers that they had collectively during a, a fourteen game twenty twenty one football season. That's that's unacceptable, and that that number needs to drastically improve whether it's through one player or whether it's through three or four. Yeah, no, we talked about it in the past. I mean, I've been through the numbers. It's, it was, they didn't utilize the tight ends. And I think you have the talent to do so. Um, I also think you have the versatility at receiver to, if you don't feel like you have the bodies, I, and this is again, hypothetical, because I, I do think they do. I, I am confident in ultimately what they have, although I, I, there is to me some concern about depth. But if you only feel like you can, if you don't feel like you have the guys at tight end, I think you could split some guys out wide. You have enough guys at receiver. You have enough mm -hmm. talent at running back to get creative. But ultimately, I think for Dillingham to be able to do everything he wants to do, he's going to want to be able to rely on two, three tight ends to to kind of maximize what they can, kind of the versatility and the, the variety of packages they want to put into place. And um, 
I'm really hoping Cam McCormick does it, man. I mean, that's just – I know we all are, but, I mean, just to spend a second talking about that, I mean, gosh. You go through his injury history, it's just devastating year after year after year. And for him to come all the way back after missing two consecutive seasons in 19 and in 20, basically all of 18 as well, I think he like, broke his leg in the first game. Basically three straight years missed – to come back and then make a really nice play against Ohio State and then just have another season-ending injury, like good lord, that's brutal. So mm-hmm. I mean, I I, I probably I, I not probably I agree with Matt where it's like it's probably hard for me to pick Cam to be the one you can really rely on just because of the injury history. But I would love it if that's the outcome. It, it would be a really cool it'd be a really cool story if either of those guys end up having an awesome season. These are two in-state players who came in with tons of expectations and have just had really poor luck with injuries, and it would be really I think exciting to see one or both of them contribute at a high level um, this year. It would certainly be exciting um, if one or both of them could do it. I, I do think that Oregon needs it as a reality for one or two of them to be, yeah. to be those, to step up and not maybe not step up, but to be, to be healthy and to be an option on the field. Um, it'd be a great story for them. And it'd be a great story for Oregon if they could both become that option. All right, it's going to do it for us here on the Odds and Audible's podcast. Uh, thank you for listening to the show. We'll be back um, very soon with the look along the offensive line, and then we'll transition over to the defense where we've got a lot of discussion points to touch on there as well. Also, keep an eye out for the Pac-12 Media Day podcast. That, that will come out as well um, on Friday, most likely, as all three of us will be in Los Angeles for that. So there's a lot to look forward to on the podcast and a ton more uh, content, a ton more. Let's speak good English here. Uh, there's a lot more good content on duckterritory.com uh, for your interest in Oregon football. But until then, you've been listening to the Odds and Audible's podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. Are you still listening? Good. Take a deep breath. You needed a break. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. So, yes, you can literally stream a stream. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation.